I'm Charlotte. And I'm Dina. Welcome to The Grim Curriculum. This is episode 90, but... Episode 90. Episode number one of 2024. Dang! Dang. That's exciting. It is! We are obviously 10 away from 100, and we do have something fun planned for that. I have been looking forward to it since, like, episode 10, so I'm really stoked. We talked about doing this for episode 100 a very long time ago, and it has come up way sooner than I kind of thought it would, but here we are anyway. Anyway, so... Hope everybody had a good Christmas and a Happy New Year. Yes. Hope you have your resolutions if you partake in that all set up for 2024. And if not, that's totally fine too. Here's the thing. We're recording in person today. We are. Super exciting because I always love to see you. Yes, of course. But the other exciting thing, it's this girl's birthday today. Happy birthday, Charlotte. Oh, thank you. I'm a 31-year-old lady now. Dang, girl. We've grown up. And not that it really matters, but I always remember because it's the day after my birthday, January 5th, we will have been in Canada, we by me and my family, uh, since 2002. So what's that? 20, (laughs) 22 years. That's a long time. It's a long time. I'm honestly more Canadian than I am British at this point, but... Honestly, I moved here in 1996 with my family and... I definitely feel like a Canadian. I always have. Canada's always been so welcoming and amazing, and I love it. So, yeah, that's my little bit about how much I love this great country. Yeah, guys. I'm very happy to be here. Absolutely. Speaking of Canada. Yeah, fun Canadians. Yep. Um, this guy doesn't give us the best name. No, he really doesn't. And quite a few people, we've talked about this before, quite a few people have not even heard of Rock Terrio. We're on episode three of our Rock Terrio series. It's only going to get grislier from here. I know we gave you guys a break over the Christmas break because we were kind of giving ourselves a little break too. But yeah, we're going to dive right back into it, guys. The last time we saw Rock Terrio and the Ant Hill Kids, things were starting to go downhill and quick. But that's nothing compared to today, folks. Yep, because today things are going to really start to snowball. We saw some light forced amputation during part two, and, well, that's just a sampling of what's to come. Welcome to the third part of our Rock Terrio and the Ant Hill Kids series. Notice how we didn't say the final part. That's because it's not. We have one more part after this, and there is so much to this story. He ruined the lives of so many people. We've already seen that. He had his ability to control those who were around him, whether they were his followers or even doctors. And we're going to really start seeing the extent of his cruelty today. As always, we will give you a little heads up before it starts to get really bad. But honestly, by now, we've already warned you enough, so you should know it's going to be a rough one. Yeah, and if you thought we'd been exaggerating this entire time, you're going to see today that you are very, very, very wrong. Okay, let's do this. As things were beginning to get worse at the Ant Hill Kids Commune, the day Rock prophesied was approaching. Like we talked about in part two, he had told the followers that the world would come to a terrifying end filled with lightning and earthquakes. All of this would happen on February 17th, 1979, which, to be fair to them, was just around the corner. This was one of the tactics that he used to originally gain the devotion of his followers. Remember, he had told them that if they didn't stick with him, they'd be doomed to a terrible death on that day. The same death that everyone they have ever known would experience. Unless, of course, they followed Rock. When that day came and went, the families of those living with Rock were relieved. Not because the world hadn't ended, but because they hoped that this would be enough for them to see that the man that they had given up their lives for was not a messiah, but a madman. 
Unfortunately for them, our guy Rock had an explanation. The reason the world had not ended when he said it would was actually quite simple. You see, it was God who told him about all of this, and God didn't see time the same way as us mere mortals do. Therefore, it was actually really hard to get the date exactly right. He emphasized that it was still definitely happening, and it was going to be any day now, so they should definitely just continue doing what he had said. What a liar. I, <laughs> the gaslighting here, hello. And dear listeners, they bought what he was selling. Their poor families were absolutely devastated. Can you imagine, like we talked about this a bit in part two, but I can't even fathom how difficult it would be to see someone who you care about under the influence of someone like this. It's one of those things where the people on the outside looking in know this isn't going to end well. The group was also gaining more attention in the public. It was around this time that a Quebec City newspaper named Le Soleil published an article called They Are Happy and Free to Leave If They Wish. In the article, they interviewed Jacques Vissette, who you may remember had left the group. Not the same Jacques who had cut off his wife's toe during part two. We got a few Jacques in this one. We do. Believe it or not, Jacques said that the group was actually fairly run and that Rock was in charge because it was agreed upon by all of the members that he was simply the best man for the job. But not everyone was convinced. Four days after the article was published, ten police officers raided their camp and arrested Rock for obstruction of justice. He was sent to L'Hôpital Robert Giffard to undergo a psychological evaluation. This meant that he would be away from the group. While it seems like this time away could have been a good opportunity for the members to become freed from his grip, that was not the case. Giselle played a huge role in keeping spirits high while he was away. After all, who better to take care of the group than the woman they all referred to as Mommy? The Mommy and Poppy thing just grosses me. I know he, I know, I know it's not Daddy. I know we're not calling him Daddy, but we may as well be calling him Daddy and look at his picture and tell me you want to call that man Daddy. He, I think, would have been very pleased had people been calling him Daddy. And like you said, Poppy is not far off and I don't like it either. Giselle also pushed really hard on the no one but us can be trusted thing, especially not members of their own families. They wanted to tear the group apart and take them all away from Rock. They were advised to turn a cold shoulder to any visitors and make sure that everyone knew where they stood. They would not be leaving Rock Terrio's side. By now, they were all more than in it. Rock had done just about everything in his power to ensure that no one would be going anywhere. He had found a happy medium where the members of the anthill kids were either so scared of him that they wouldn't dare to defy him, or they were just madly in love and just wouldn't question whatever he wanted. This is really prevalent in a lot of interviews with members of other cults, because there comes a point where the person has dedicated literally everything in their lives to their group, and it's also become so divided from their loved ones that they feel like they have no other option but to stay. We saw this a lot with Om Shumrikyo. Yes, absolutely. And if you're watching uh, TV recently, there's also been, oh my god, what's the, the blue lady? Blue. Oh, Amy, um, Love is One. Yes, yeah. Love is One. I think it's on Amazon Prime, but that just came out and that's very interesting too. That cult I would love to cover one day. They are fascinating. And I know we don't normally cover recent stories like that, but they're on my list because uh, bitch turned herself blue. Yeah, Colloidal Silver will do that to you. But uh, anywho, back to Rock. <laughs> <laughs> 
So while Giselle kept things under control, Rock was at the hospital and things actually seemed to be going pretty well for him. Yeah, this whole part might surprise you guys. He began to win people over at the hospital itself. Rock explained that he was simply a man who had wanted to do the right thing. He had saved a group of young men and women from a life of drugs and misery. It wasn't long before the director of the hospital himself was referring to Rock as Moses. And Moses was just a guy who was misunderstood by the public who just didn't understand his lifestyle, which was simply less than conventional. Because Rock had an explanation for everything. The children weren't taken away because they were being horrifically abused. No, they were taken away because the government didn't like the fact that they were living a polygamous lifestyle. Which maybe they didn't, but that wasn't the only reason. These kids were horribly mistreated. And the other thing, too, one of his main excuses for why people didn't like him was he would often say, it's because I'm French. Oh, classic. Yeah. Fall back on that one. Yeah, so he would use that and he would say, well, it's because they don't like that I'm a polygamist. Oh, well, it's because they don't like that I'm French. So it all boils down to one thing or another. And it, we've seen this before with Rock where he becomes the victim always, right? He really does. I mean, he is a true narcissist. And the way that he wins people over is, it's scary. It's almost hypnotic. Like we just said, like he was able to get the director of the hospital under his thumb pretty quickly. Yep. Awful. All of this resulted in Rock being released early. He was sentenced to a year of probation, and this helped sway the media when it came to him, and before long, he had developed a pretty positive public image. He wasn't Rock Terrio, the scary cult leader. He was Moses, the misunderstood mountain man who just wanted to help people. Unfortunately for the Ant Hill kids, he was definitely Rock Terrio, the scary-ass cult leader. Speaking of his followers... All of this had only proven that Rock was their guy even more. Not only was the press finally speaking well of him, he had been deemed sane and was barely given a sentence. And to them, that sentence was only because he was misunderstood. Tragically, all of this would lead to even more suffering and death. Gabrielle Nadeau, the 19-year-old with multiple sclerosis, had fallen into a coma which had led to her death. Rock demanded that his followers bury her up at Eternal Mountain, where he believed she belonged. However, the law had other things in mind. They had taken her body away for an autopsy, because even though she was sick, her death was still incredibly suspicious. The autopsy results showed no signs of foul play, and her death was considered tragic, but not criminal. We've talked a lot about how bad this series is, and many of you listening are probably wondering when shit is really going to start hitting the fan. I would say that this is when it all starts to get extra terrible. Enter Guy Veer. He was actually at the same hospital as Rock, and Guy had been going through a really hard time. He was struggling with his mental health, mainly depression, and was seeking help when he first heard of Rock. Before long, Guy had moved to the commune, although he was not given the warm welcome that many of the other members had received. He joined a lot later than everybody else, so he was definitely seen as more of an outsider kind of figure. They kept him just on the edge, close enough where he was still a devoted member, but far enough where he was constantly willing to do whatever it took to be part of the inner circle. And to be clear, the inner circle was basically everybody else except for him and maybe a few others, but we'll get to them right away here. Seriously, they made this guy live separately from everyone else in a storage shed. 
They gave him a stove, cot, rooster, a hen, and a case of beer. They were also kind enough to feed him one meal a day. Can I just say, out of everybody in this cult, I would rather be separated from everybody else. Right? Like, I would rather be in the storage because I, I always say this. I feel like I've said this so many times. We'll make merch out of this one day, but can you imagine the smell? Oh, no. Absolutely not. Stinky human beings? Worst. Right. So in return, Guy would have to dedicate his life to Rock, and Rock made him work very hard. It started off with standard labor-intensive jobs, you know, chopping wood and then helping with what was now turning into an ever-expanding giant wood cabin, and they also gave him the job of babysitter of the unwanted children. Yeah, because there were essentially two groups of kids on the compound, and yes, this is just another grim reminder that children are very much involved in all of this and that this man fathered almost up to 40 of them. Well, and the two groups were kids that had been fathered by Rock and kids who had not, and naturally he favored the children that he was responsible for creating. The rest were sent to be taken care of by Guy. Rock would say that Guy was chosen because he was considered fit to only take care of the animals. That is atrocious. Yep, because uh, listen to how old these kids were. The kids in question were two-year-old Samuel Giger and his four-year-old sister Miriam. Another one of the unfortunate children was two-year-old Simon Ouellette. His birth was the result of the marriage that Rock had ordained between Solange and Claude. And if this sounds like a lot of children, there were many, many more, because at this point, Rock had fathered a child with not only his wife, Giselle, but also with Solange and Nicole. Guy was uh, really getting around. Yeah, he was. And don't forget, this is also, along with the two children that he had with his first wife, Francine, by now, Rock Jr. was 12 and Francois was 10, the two actually wanted to go live with their dad. Things weren't looking good for the children in any way. Rock was thrilled about this and decided that he would throw a huge party to celebrate his son's arrival. The big day came on March 23rd, 1980. Everyone was invited and it was bound to be a great time. But it wouldn't be for everyone on the compound. You see, everyone was invited except for Guy and the unwanted children. And dear listeners, this is going to be your one and only content warning for this episode. Yep, this is probably really going to ruin your day, so if you don't want that, feel free to skip ahead a little ways. We won't be offended. No, not at all. Alright, so the truth about what actually happened isn't known. There are a few different versions of this story, and we're going to be sharing the most likely two. The first is from the official court testimony, not only given by Rock, but by Giselle, Guy, and the majority of those who were there. And that version is as follows. Samuel was like most two-year-olds, a little fussy. That night, as the evening went on, his crying continued, and as hard as Guy tried, he couldn't get him to stop. Hours into the night, Guy lost his temper and began to scream at the toddler. Sleep-deprived and angry, he grabbed Samuel by the throat and proceeded to punch him in the face repeatedly. The following morning, Samuel was discovered by Rock. The poor baby was still alive at this point. He gave him to Gabrielle, whose job on the compound was to act as a type of nurse. It was clear that Samuel was not okay. His head was flopping around, and his penis had begun to swell drastically. Rock, upon seeing this, quickly grabbed a pair of scissors, sterilized them in some alcohol, 
and lanced the tip of Samuel's penis so that the swelling would go down. Two-year-old Samuel Giger was found dead the following morning. That's the first version, the version that the courts have accepted. However, Giselle told a different story. She said that the day after the party, Samuel was found with a bruised face but otherwise seemed okay. That is, until Rock, just out of nowhere, decided it was time to circumcise the toddler. You heard that right, folks. He grabbed a 94% ethanol solution and used it to sterilize the blade that he would use. He then force-fed the solution to Samuel. There are many who believe this is what led to the death of the toddler. When it came time to break the news to Samuel's mother, Maurice, she reacted in a way that many of you might not expect. She basically just went back to work. That night, during dinner, Rock suggested that they burn Samuel's body so that wild animals wouldn't dig him up. The parents agreed that this was a good idea. They gave the task to Claude Ouellette, and then they just continued on living. Maurice didn't dare speak out about the death of her child, let alone ever question Rock to his face about it. This is the same woman whose toe was amputated by her husband at the behest of Rock Terrio. I can only imagine the level of dissociation she's going through at this point. I would imagine her trauma levels are similar to someone like, I don't know, going through a torture camp. Well, that's exactly what's happening. It is. I can't even begin to imagine being in this kind of situation. Like, she was just held down while her toe was severed off because Rock threatened to cut them all off if Jacques didn't do it. Now her baby boy, who was treated like an outsider to begin with, is dead under some very questionable circumstances. Life continued on, and nothing overly significant happened for almost the rest of that entire year. That is, until one night in September, when Rock had had way too much to drink. And that's something we want to remind you of here. Rock started off as this clean-eating, sober guy who just happened to have a bad temper. Now, he's a raging alcoholic on a power trip with what is really starting to look like a thirst for blood. I wonder if on some level he just enjoyed seeing how far he could get people to take things. Absolutely, because up to this point, there's been very little consequence for him. No, and no one's saying no to him. Exactly. On this particular night, Guy Vier had done something that had angered Rock. This was a fairly regular occurrence, but this night was different. He brought up the fact that Guy had murdered Samuel and decided it was time for him to stand trial in the court of Rock. He set up a little courtroom where he would assign members to various roles. Since Samuel was Jacques' son, he was chosen to be the judge. Giselle was going to be the prosecutor and Claude Ouellette would represent Guy. Gabrielle, the compound nurse, would be the medical examiner and the remaining wives would be the jury. The trial began and lasted about an hour. Once it was over, the ruling was unanimous. Guy Vier was not guilty by reason of insanity. Rock was not happy with this. He wanted to see Guy punished. He stood on this for a few hours, and then he went to Jacques with an idea. Why don't we just castrate him? This is becoming a trend for Rock. Jacques was initially against this terrible idea, but it didn't take long until Rock took matters into his own hands and decided to call a vote, asking the group whether or not they thought Guy Vier should be castrated as a punishment for his crimes. Shockingly, all but three people voted no, Maurice, Jacques, and Giselle. One of the members who voted yes was a 12-year-old boy. 
And if you're hearing all of this and you're shocked by the fact that he convinced almost everyone that castration was the right idea, that's nothing. He also managed to convince Guy Veer that this was the right thing to do. Seriously though, for those of you listening with a penis of your own, what would it take for you to agree to a castration done by a drunken French-Canadian cult leader? Like, that's not good. I do not have that anatomy, and I... No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. But Guy had his reasons. He had suffered from terrible headaches. Rocket told him that not only would castrating him get rid of those pesky headaches he was always complaining about, it would also finally get him to stop masturbating, which, according to Rock, was the cause of his breathing issues. He also told him that if he allowed Rock to castrate him, he would climb up the ranks of the group further, something that Guy desperately wanted. Before they began the procedure, Guy signed a form saying that he consented to the castration. This, of course, was Rock's idea. He then had him undress and lay down on the kitchen table. Meanwhile, he had Gabrielle gather his surgical tools, an elastic band, ethanol, tweezers, a magnifying glass, and a razor blade. Rock was well-practiced when it came to the art of castration, so the procedure itself went off without a hitch. Guy experienced some bleeding for about a week, but Gabrielle nursed him back to health. One of the main quote-unquote benefits to Guy having this procedure done was supposed to be his life improving on the compound. Unfortunately for him, that was definitely not the case. If anything, Rock began to treat him worse. He would get drunk and beat him in front of everybody else. He would also have the other followers gang up on him and beat him as a group. Eventually, he brought weapons into this, and he had them stab him with small knives viciously until he would call them off. This continued until November 5th, when Guy Veer finally had enough and decided to make a run for it. He took off and ran until he found the nearest town. He told the first people he found that he was living in the anthill kids' compound and that one of their children had died after being kicked by a horse. That was enough to get the attention of authorities who raided the compound almost immediately. They arrested Rock as well as Jacques and Maurice. They also sent the rest of the children on the compound away to foster homes. The police investigated the compound further. They found the consent form Guy had signed as well as the ballots that were used when the group decided to castrate him. They questioned the members, and they all very matter-of-factly told them what had happened. While all of this was happening, an investigation on the death of Samuel Giguere had been concluded, and it was deemed that the death was due to criminal activity towards the child. Numerous members of the group were charged. Claude faced obstruction of justice charges due to the fact that he was the one who had burned the body. Rock, Jacques, Maurice, Gabrielle, and Guy were charged with criminal negligence, causing bodily harm. The death of Samuel had brought a lot of attention to the treatment of the other children. As a result of his death, the parents were charged with neglect towards his surviving sister. Rock and Gabrielle were also charged with bodily harm with intent when it came to what they did to Guy. They all pled not guilty. All of them except Rock and Gabrielle were released into the public until their trial on the condition that they not return to the compound ever again. Rock and Gabrielle were deemed much more dangerous than the rest of them and they were held without bail. The remaining members of the Ant Hill Kids moved away from the compound since they were not allowed to return there. And you'd think this would be maybe enough to potentially draw them apart, but uh, it wasn't. They moved to the town of New Carlisle where the trial was being held so that they could be even closer to their leader. 
The trial itself ended up taking nine months. Each member of the group was found guilty. Gabrielle was sentenced to spend nine months incarcerated and then three years under probation for her involvement. Maurice and Solange received probation only. Jacques and Claude were sentenced to spend six months in prison with a following three years under probation. Rock was sentenced to two years less a day and three years probation on two charges which he would serve at the same time. I don't understand how a child died and they all basically got off very leniently, in my opinion. Blows my mind. You would think this would be at least manslaughter. Oh, absolutely. Right? Because you have, you know, you have your first degree murder, which is planned. Your second degree murder, which happened, but you didn't, like, premeditate it. Manslaughter is you killed someone. They killed someone. 100%. And you know what? I would argue at this point, and I think many people would, this poor child was not the first to die at the hands or as a result of being a part of this group. That's just it. I'd like to take a really quick second to explain the two years less a day thing because I know not all of you are from Canada, so you might be a little confused by that. So in Canada, if you're sentenced to two years less a day, you spend it in a provincial institution. If you're sentenced to two years or more, you're going to find yourself in a federal prison. The main difference between the two is obviously a federal prison is going to have people who are serving much longer sentences and therefore they've committed more severe crimes. So there are people who are serving time for murder and things like that in provincial jails. But with my experience working in the correctional system, you're still going to have people who've committed really serious crimes there. But a lot of the people serving provincial time are there for like not paying fines or like drug charges, things like that. Not a cult leader murdering evil man. No kidding. After Rock was sentenced, the members moved once again to be closer to him. They resided throughout four different apartments in Quebec City. If they had wanted to return to the compound, they couldn't. It was fully destroyed by law enforcement to the point where they raised it to the ground and then they bulldozed all the ashes. Good, as it should be, that place should not exist at all. With their leader in prison and their home raised to the ground, it did seem like the group was finally going to break apart from the grasp of Rock Terrio. But dear listeners, that's not what happened at all. So, you will have to join us for the fourth and final part of this series where we will be exploring more of Rock's horrific crimes. The amount of time I spent reading about castration for this part is upsetting. This is all upsetting. Some of the stuff we're going to talk about next week is even more upsetting. I'm saying that word a lot, but you're going to feel it. I think upsetting is pretty all-encompassing when it comes to this. (laughs) And we're not even at the part that made me physically ill yet. I'm sorry we're drawing this out, guys, but he did a lot of fucking nasty shit. There's one part in next week's episode that you're all gonna hate, and I'm actually not even looking forward to talking about no. it. It's so, it's so bad. It's We both have a pretty high tolerance for the dark and the grisly. Yes. But this was something where I had heard it on a podcast. I literally felt ill and I had to shut it off. And that is not something that happens with me. And I am exactly the same. This is one of the very first cases. And we've been, you know, I've watched a lot of documentaries. Mm -hmm. We've done the research. We've gone through autopsy reports. This was one of the very first to really be like, oh, shit, like, this is a lot. I'm going to put it up there as probably one of the most terrible things we will have talked about over the span of 90 episodes. 
I would have to agree, and we've talked about some pretty heinous people, for sure, but yeah, Rock Terrio really takes the cake, and the fact that he's Canadian and not really heard of mm-hmm. by people is also in itself shocking, because what he did was so, so incredibly shocking. And we keep saying all this stuff about how terrible uh, next week's episode is going to be, but you should listen to it still, because, uh... I mean, if you're here at this point... You're You're into the same stuff we're into. Yeah, you're like us, and uh, we'll get through it together, friends. Absolutely. So, we need to thank our lovely Patreons, patrons, because it is that time of the episode again. And we do want to say we have so much fun stuff planned for 2024, you guys. Like, it's going to be a fabulous year. We're so excited. Uh, I mean, last year was amazing. Yes, 100%. We'll be into... Well, coming up in March, we'll be into our third year, which is already crazy. Holy cow. Um, Yeah, 100 episodes. What the fuck? (laughs) I feel like, honestly, I was thinking about this because I was going through some old scripts for something, and I'm like, I feel like we hit, like, episode 30, Mm -hmm. and then it kind of climbed, and then all of a sudden I blinked, and we're at 90. Yes, the time has flown, but I also feel like we've been doing this for a long time as well. Right? You know what? For those of you who've been there since the beginning, thank you. For those of you who, I don't know why you would have tuned into this episode for the first one, but if you did, hi, thank you. Hi, hello, welcome. Appreciate ya. Yeah, we absolutely do. Hey guys, editing Charlotte here. As I was editing, I realized that we actually lost the end of our episode. So here I am on Saturday morning to give a huge humongous thank you to our wonderful patrons over on patreon who support us so a humongous thank you to bob lisa atlantean jedi brian hillary judy kevin and mayhem mudkip y'all are the titty city the bomb.com and you're not a medium pepperoni pizza you're a fucking large pepperoni pizza we appreciate you and thank you so much for your support to everybody else out there listening, we also love the heck out of you too. And to all of you who share us on social media and share us with your family and friends, we love you too. This has been The, the Grim, Grim Curriculum. Curriculum. And worry not, I do have a fun history fact for you after all of that morbid and gruesome cult leader stuff. So today I'm going to tell you about Korean King Taejong, who in 1404, going through a jaunt in the forest on his horse, fell off by accident and was so embarrassed that he asked his historians not to record it. Not only did they record it, but they for sure made mention of the fact that King Taejong had specifically told them not to put that in the history books. So just remember... King Taejong in the year 1404 fell off his horse and doesn't want you to know that. Bye!